0: I worked with this parent on marketing, sort of getting children who would be interested in coming along. And on the first day it went out, my father-in-law came back in and he was so cross with me. He said, you'll never make a living like this. Just had 23 children on a school run. We can't run this for the year. It's running at a loss. I said, well, can you give me another six months and see if I can get any more? And then if we can't, we'll make a decision on that. And we're now four, five years later and I've just this year booked 750 children. Wow. room. So I was a bit like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack to the movie About a Boy is titled Something to Talk About. Our next guest could also use this soundtrack to describe her professional life but this time talk, spelt T-O-R-Q-U-E, and what's more, she bears no resemblance whatsoever to the spoilt and rich layabout portrayed by Hugh Grant in the movie. Rather, comparisons for this episode's guest on Women Talk Back might be better directed at Emma Thompson, the independent thinker, acclaimed actor, producer and activist. Emma's movies include In the Name of the Father, Saving Mr. Banks, An Education, Love Actually, and Stranger Than Fiction. Each of these titles could be used to describe a number of occasions in the life of Candace Mason as she accepted her husband's request to assist him, his brother and father in running the family coach business conveniently named Mason's Coach Hire. The deal agreed was that she would assist within the business for 12 months and then return to her first love, the career for which she was trained to degree level. Life's what happens when you're busy making other plans, and this deal was agreed long before COVID-19 shook the world and the UK coach industry, but Candace has not returned to her first vocation. And what was that career, I hear you ask? Well, think of Emma Thompson's 2005 period fantasy comedy, Nanny McPhee. Candace started her career caring for children and navigated a path all the way up to managing a nursery and beyond. But Love Actually took hold, and whilst Emma Thompson scripted the film Sense and Sensibility, Candace brought her common sense and more than a touch of sensibility with fresh eyes to look at the family business, to develop it, and build upon the splendid successes achieved by her father and mother-in-law, her husband and brother-in-law over a 30-year heritage. It's a family affair. In Victorian Britain... Widowed Mr Brown was struggling to combine tragedy, work and family life, and his finances needed review. Enter Nanny McPhee, who restored order to the family Brown and magically made it snow in August. Changing the weather in any business requires resilience and questioning assumptions, even in times of calm. But in the chaos and tragedy of the 18-month COVID winter imposed on the UK coach industry with no industry-specific support from government, it was a rodeo and Candace had to concentrate on the unexpected micro as well as the macro and quickly learn how to engage with government ministers whilst furloughing loyal, hard-working, traumatised staff. The emotion of this difficult task is palpable within this podcast. Nanny McPhee leaves her movie Family with the phrase, When you need me but do not want me, then I must stay. When you want me but no longer need me, then I have to go. Somehow, we think it will be unlikely that Candace will go back. We have to get one use of the word back into this intro to managing a nursery as her family and the wider coaching industry will want and need her soundtrack of excellence for some time to come. Talking of soundtracks and sound, thanks as ever to our very own Aussie, Mandy Turner. Ian wrote this one, not me, who not only skillfully edits down under our podcasts to make us sound as we think we speak rather than how we actually mumble and pause, she voices this introduction. Mandy can be contacted at mandyturner.com.au. Enjoy.
2: Okay, so welcome finally, Candice, to Women Talk Back. Now, this is a really bizarre situation because I feel like we've known each other for quite some time, but actually this is the first time we've properly met. Physically met. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, it's really nice to actually be here at your premises in person. Yeah. And we're in a position where we can actually do this now. Yeah, I know. It's
0: great, isn't it? I think we've had a few jokes over email and text messages well, yeah, and whatnot. Absolutely, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's nice to meet you finally.
2: It is. It feels like we've known each other a long, long time. Before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing about your journey because for those that are listening, you are one of the leading figures at Mason's <laughs> yeah. and but transport isn't where you started
0: your No, career. certainly didn't get pulled aside at school and said <laughs> <laughs> so you'll end up in the coach industry. No, I mean it by marriage. Okay, so <laughs> tell us what you did before and how your journey began. So I never had any ambitions to go into transport. It just wasn't even on my radar I was going to be a famous ballerina when I was little and then had some issues injury wise couldn't couldn't carry that on didn't really know what to do thought oh, I might do some interpreting because I've taken two languages at school did not pass my GCSEs <laughs> so that sort of blew that one out of the corner and I, I was told at school you know when um, you won't be able to stay and do A levels where academically you're not quite there we found this lovely apprenticeship for you off you go and look after these children. And then, um, and that's, so that's what I started my life doing was looking after other people's children and doing the apprenticeship. And I, I really loved it. I, I really, really loved it. I loved being with the children. I had varying nanny roles, which allowed me to do quite a lot of traveling. I then progressed into sort of nurseries and room leaders and ended up managing several different settings And somewhere along the lines, somebody said to me, they've got some funding for a degree in early years. Why don't you go and do it? And I thought, oh, you know, they told me at school I'm not going to be able to do degrees and things like that. So I thought, oh, no, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, they coerced me into going and doing that. And so for me, that managing to complete that degree and do it very well was a bit of a turning point for me. I came out of of early years education and ended up in higher education and further education. So I taught a lot of childcare qualifications and then was told to progress in my sort of teaching side of things. You need to have a teaching degree alongside your specialist subject. So I ended up doing another degree. After thinking you weren't, after thinking I wasn't going to do anything. So, yeah, things have naturally happened and people have sort of actively encouraged me to kind of go and do things. And then I've sort of managed to surprise myself that I've been able to pull it off. So, I was doing very well in that career and I'd had various roles. And I was working for a local further education college as a director for their apprenticeship department, which was really interesting. So, I worked a lot with employees across all different subjects from hairdressing to motor vehicles childcare, anything catering all sorts of bits and pieces and I would go out and meet with employers and look at what their needs for education were what, what apprenticeships they needed what staff training they needed and we would build programs together and then I would get my team to go out and and do that and I was doing really well and then James said I need your help and that's kind of how I ended up here <laughs> so yeah
2: That must have been really difficult then for you to make that decision, was it, to step away from that career you built?
0: Yeah, I I was at a bit of a crossroads where I was starting to think, what do I do after this? Where do I go with this? A natural progression would have ended up sort of pushing myself towards sort of running ahead of college or ahead of a department in that sense. But I'd sort of gone as far as I'd wanted to with that. So I had been starting to think about what what was my next steps. Now, James is... Mum and Dad set the company up about thirty five years ago, you know, done a really great job, run it, run it themselves. And then James's mum wasn't so well, so she decided to take a step back. I think the business had grown to a certain point, it was, it was quite a lot for her to manage, and actually she wasn't really enjoying it anymore. By <laughs> which point her and James's dad had gone through a separation, so they'd managed to keep the company going through some pretty difficult yeah, times that's quite something. <laughs> And yeah, I think she was ready to take her step back. And the initial plan from my husband as he proposed it to me was we just need you for a year to come in and sort it out, and then you can go back to doing what you're doing. Oh, the sweet talk. I I did feel quite an emotional pull to support my husband, you know. We've not long been married. We've been together for a very long time before we got married. we would not long been married, and I thought, I should be doing my dutiful wife thing now, (laughs) you know, and and playing wife, and okay, I'll go and help him for a little while. It probably took quite a lot for him to ask that of you as well. Yeah, I think he knows that it would have been a big decision for me to make. He was convinced from the outset that I would have a really good influence. I was thinking I know nothing about running a company. I know even less about coaches, despite us being together we hadn't really even been out very much on coaches I've kind of left that to his side of life. He obviously could see your qualities.
3: Something like that you know he knew from the outset. Yeah
2: he He obviously recognised that because a lot of people particularly men probably in that situation would have ploughed on regardless and not taken that step back to recognise they needed extra help. Yeah. Um, So for him to actually do that in the first place was quite
0: yeah. And it well, did usual, need I mean. help. When I mean, when I first started, I mean, my mother-in-law had done an amazing job. She'd run the company for 35 years in the way that she knew how, with no formal training, no account training, nothing. She did everything herself. But when I got here and saw how many notebooks and bits of paper and diaries there were, I was coming from almost a paperless environment right. and, and a corporate sort of world into a, a notebook. And <laughs> You thought, oh, it's like, oh, my God, what on earth have I done? You know, can I, get where, back? Do I start? <laughs> where do I even start? I yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was a pretty daunting experience that first year. But I think my husband was really excited. And he, I know that I remember in the early days him sort of, you know, training me up on things. It was really nice that we had that time yeah. together to do that.
2: How do you find it then? Because obviously you've had your career, he's been in the family business, and then suddenly you're not only living together as man and wife, you're working together day in, day out. How was so that there transition? there definitely
0: moments of tantrums. <laughs> <laughs> I can 100% tell you that now. It's not dissimilar to when you first move in together or when you first have a child together. You go through a period of readjusting and finding where your balance is. Now, a good couple will be able to work that out together. And even through the screaming matches, which is mostly me doing the screaming, you know that you still want your end goal, which is to remain together, to remain working together. We've never, ever applied any pressure on each other. So we always said from the beginning, we will do it for as long as it works. And if it's not working, the marriage does come first and your family does come first. We've got a daughter that we need to make sure is as much as a priority that we're a strong family than the business and you know business was here before me it's not going to burn down without me i think that lap, you know not putting too much pressure on each other and then just trying to iron out a few um hiccups along the way okay so when you joined the business initially what was your
2: role or what did you understand your role was going to be when you came along
0: the initial understanding was that i would just manage the office basically okay. when i first came in the first week obviously learned to use the computers picking up the phone how to get someone booked into a job you know all those sorts of bits and pieces i was quite interested in the financials of the company so it wasn't in a very financially strong position. And I think in the week that I started, it just so happened that we got the um, end-of-year accounts finally sort of hit the desk. And I had about a 1,000 questions with these accounts. Now, you, you've got to remember, I've not seen a set of accounts for mm-hmm. a company in my own way, where I've been really inquisitive about it. Obviously, I've seen numbers and I've seen templates and things like that. So the first thing I did was make an appointment to go and see the accountant, came home and said to James, right, well, we're sacking her. He was like, what do you mean? She's a family accountant. She literally does the accounts for the whole family, every family business we've got and there's no way I'll convince my dad and I was like well she's crap so I'm getting rid of her so you can tell your dad whatever you want (laughs) and that's the first decision I made and probably the best decision I made and the reason for that being was the accounts didn't make sense and they weren't I wasn't able to run the company from those accounts and to me we're here to make money we weren't making money so we need to start looking at what those mm. accounts mean and really drilling down behind those the second thing I did was understand obviously the day-to-day runnings but in the beginning I kind of left that to James and Matt and mm. their dad to sort of sort out but man was it busy and you couldn't do anything the phone rang all the time and I was here a lot on my own and the phone rang all the time so you couldn't actually sort anything out for the business and I was had this like notebook and I was thinking, God, I'm going to forget to book a coaching because this did the, every time somebody wanted yeah. to book, the phone rang again. I thought, i never worked somewhere, where the phone rang so much. It was ridiculous. I was dropping my daughter at school one day, and I burst into tears, and my friend was thought, like, I literally can't answer the phone. I can't even do this job. I can't, the phone doesn't wow. stop ringing. She said, I'll come and help you answer the phone. So that was the second decision. And I think actually looking back, if James's mum had had a person there taking some of that responsibility it might not have felt so overwhelming for her at that time so um but yeah so we hired joe and joe her job was literally just answer the phone take messages take calls so i can work out exactly what i need to do
2: <laughs> gosh so that initial come and join us for a year how long ago are we talking now then And um, we've just celebrated the sixth year <laughs> <laughs> and is that i suppose did the year did the first year come and go and it just carried
0: on no there, there were some hilarious <laughs> stories in that first year before I settled down because I'm sure you might know about me now but I'm, I'm a little bit like a dog with a bone. <laughs> I've never knew <laughs> no, this this. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit relentless I'm a really inquisitive person so I ask a lot of questions so I think why are you doing it like that can we do it a different way how can we be doing something differently and I'm quite reflective so I would then look at okay well that maybe doesn't work so these are the three different ways we can do it and which one's going to work and let's try this and, and what have you so so there was a lot that I did in the first year I mean I mean when I arrived the, the staff didn't sort of have contracts in place I mean you've got to remember this is a family business that had gone back years that they'd, they'd only employed a few people so yeah. there was a lot of work that needed doing in that sense to sort of structure it were you bothered about stepping on toes uh no not really <laughs> <laughs> There was a moment in the first year with my father-in-law. so he's not my dad. He's James's dad. So I'm a step removed, but I've been with James 20 years, so I know him fairly well.. Yeah. And you know, it's his company ultimately when I first started. so I had to be really so I was really mindful of that I don't know if I was careful, but I was definitely mindful of it. Some of the things that I'd looked at when I, when I was thinking about the accounts and the finances was the cash flow. Typically, the industry I now know is very seasonal. They were really, really struggling. And I mean, in the first few years, James and I had to put our sort of life savings into the accounts to pay staff wages. So it was in a bobbing above water, really. And everyone was taking a salary, but it wasn't really productive. So one of the first pieces of work I wanted to do in that sense was to look at how can we streamline the income throughout the year? What different things could we do? And we I mean we talked about doing things like the ski runs in January and was that gonna fill it up yeah. and and I think at the time we had one school route which was subcontracted by the council to another coach operator that was then subbed down to us. And, I mean, we were making next to nothing on it. And all I kept hearing was the school runs all your bread and butter. That's what keeps it coming in. It turned out the way the council ran the provision meant that we actually weren't a big enough company to bid for it at that particular time. So we'd missed out on quite a bit. And then we were being subbed to the dregs, not making anything. Anyway, there was a... A parent phoned me one day and said, I've got this group of children that I need to move from our location to grammar school. And I don't think I'm the only parent. I think there are other parents. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. So she gathered a few names and I did a bit of digging around. And it turned out there was a provision required for moving children to the grammar schools locally. And I think sort of over the years the county council have moved away from that provision because it was out of catchment and it was yeah. paid for transport. So I said to James, We're gonna run a school run. <laughs> I Literally didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and he was like, Okay, right. Okay, you go and get the parents. And there was a lot of is this the right thing to do that to buy a coach for it. We had to work out if we needed to register boots, you know, stuff we have yeah. not done before. And I worked with this parent on marketing and sort of getting Children who would be interested in coming along. And on the first day it went out, my father in law came back in and he was so cross with me. He said, You'll never make a living like this. Just had 23 children on a school run. We can't run this for the year. It's running at a loss. And I thought, so, Well, surely, I thought with sort of businesses you had to sort of speculate to accumulate. And I said, Well, can you give me another six months and see if I can get any more? And then if we can't, we'll make a decision on that. Well, in six months' time, it's by a second vehicle and split the routes. And we're now four, five years later, and I've just this year booked 750 children wow. to the route. So I was a bit like, <laughs> I'll take that point. <laughs> Does your father-in-law ever say? Now he moans about how many vehicles we've got, and what's <laughs> off the road, what's on the road, da, 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 da. more stuff. you know, all oh. those sorts of challenges. So, yeah, so that's been a big... Yeah, you must be really
2: proud of that achievement as well. Yeah, but what that has
0: meant is that all year we have income into the company. And even better than that, nobody else owns it except for us. It's commercial. So we have complete control over that. We control the roots. We control the finances on it. You know, we can provide an exemplary service to our parents because it's not just seen as oh, another school route that we you know the driver's got to drive yeah actually that's the basis of our income and you, we've all got jobs now we've got a long-term plan for the company because we've got this stability so yeah I feel pretty proud of that yeah you sure. actually, yeah you and I do like sure. to remind my father
2: <laughs> yeah tr- <laughs> <you> <laughs> <Yes. occasionally. laughs> yeah
0: there's a lot of head scratching that goes on with that and I'm sure I've created a lot more work for James and his brother but they've got more income so that was... well they, they brought you in to keep them <laughs> exactly, on their toes <laughs> exactly so that was one sort of aspect the second one was the, the day trips and holidays so my mother-in-law had run some day trips and a few holidays not a huge amount and I think again over the years it's kind of gone by the wayside but I saw that as quite an attractive opportunity because what to me that meant was we could utilize the vehicle's at times in the year when potentially they wouldn't be used as much or, or yeah. what have you and so that's that's the second kind of biggest thing so, I think
2: so when you joined how big was the company in terms of vehicle numbers and
0: and um, we had six or seven vehicles and I think there was nine of us including me my husband his brother his dad and then a few staff so very small very small yeah team. and yeah. now six years on we've got 23 vehicles another three on the way and we've got 35 staff incredible that, that so, is incredible great, yeah, isn't it? when you think about it yeah and there have been I'm sure anyone who runs a business that you're learning as you go along we don't know it nobody pulls you aside at school and says oh by the way this is a really good way to run a business yeah. And you reach really pivotal points and you're like on a seesaw where you think, oh, the growth, we can't keep up with it. I don't know how to get the infrastructure around it. And then all of a sudden you have a bit of time and you really think about it and you put different things in place or you sort of amend how you're doing it or rethink it or you read a book about somebody who's run a really great business and that makes you rethink how you're going to do it. Is that where you get
3: your inspiration from?
0: Yeah, I read a lot. Yeah, I read a lot. And I'm really interested in how other people run their businesses. So I ask a lot of questions. I do a lot of networking groups and I find out there. It's like anything in life, isn't it? You sort of think, well, I won't do it like that. So it makes you think how you will yeah. do it. And I think that continuing to be reflective, and I never te- you just can't take your eye off the ball. You can't expect your business to continue to grow and continue to bring you an income if you're not constantly thinking about it. Times have changed even the last 18 months. You know, we didn't have an online booking procedure for our day trips and holidays prior to COVID. And I made sure that we spent a lot of time during the lockdown to getting that into place because I knew... And in fact, somebody confirmed it for me later. The COVID pandemic has fast-forwarded online sales seven years earlier than they had initially predicted. So you've got to keep on top of those growth trends and the way people are purchasing things and and how people buy things differently. And the other thing, which I'm still battling a little bit, is instant. So I'd like to run this company like my Amazon app, (laughs) any busy woman will tell you Amazon is there. <laughs> <laughs> they go to. It's just the
3: go-to.
0: <laughs> I just love, I go to Amazon, I swipe my finger and it's at my door the next day. Yeah. But that is the mentality of how people are purchasing. It is. And my opinion, and I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this, but my opinion is the coach industry is just about coming into the 90s where they're sort of still sending emails. So there's a lot of businesses being run. And quite rightfully so. It's small family businesses Ticking along, yeah. doing what they need to do, keeping roofs over the head, doing a really, really great job. But if you want to take your business to the next step, you you have got to think like that. So yeah, I wanted instant quotes yeah. on my website, instant bookings of coaches, instant ability to get a trip. You see something advertised on Facebook, you book it with the click of a button. School parents, they want to book the child into school, it's done at ten o'clock at night when they've put their kids to bed and it's the swipe of a button. And that's my current that's your current project? It's the current project, yeah. I'm a few assholes <laughs> <battles> with developers.
2: <laughs> you said you got your inspiration from things like you read a lot. But back in those early days when you first entered the business, it was a complete change from anything you'd done before. So have there been people that you've deferred to for help? Have there been mentors or people that you've used as your sounding board? That sort of thing as you've gone along the last six years.
0: I've got a sister and me and my sister have been brought up with a mum and dad who basically said, you can do anything you put your mind to and anything is possible. And my dad had wanted me to be a boy when I was born. And... Apparently, the story goes, he said, well, it doesn't matter that she's not a boy, but she can still win the World Motorcycle Championships if she wants to. And that was my dad's mentality, was Brilliant. the only thing you can't do is pee standing up. <laughs> and that was how he sort of brought us up. You know, again, really early, we would talk to change oil in the car. We were taught how to put shelves up, change light bulbs, do things around the house. So I was really lucky that I had him behind me, push, yeah. pushing me. And my mum, who is has done everything that she wanted to do with her life and nothing's ever stopped her so we've been encouraged with regards to sounding boards in the beginning James and his brother probably was miss- shout- yeah. shouting boards shouting boards <laughs> <me. laughs> <laughs> yeah just re- reading different business mentors asking different questions of different people when we first launched the day trips and holidays because I'd pretty much barely been on a coach other than for a good knees up somewhere I thought it would be a good idea for me to go out on some of the trips yeah. and just understand when I'm structuring a date out what that might look like, the types of people that are coming out and really get to understand my customers. And so really, in, in some respects, it's been the customers that have been the sounding board in some aspects because I've asked them what they wanted, what yeah. works for them, what doesn't work for them. I've literally used that feedback to make changes in the business. And that still continues today. And my staff are trained to request feedback and for that feedback to be used to develop the business. So that in theory, we're constantly serving what the customers are wanting. Yeah, That's the mythology behind it. And it, it's doing all right. I mean, that first year of the day trips, I think I had 12 day trips in the brochure, no holidays. We didn't run all of those day trips, and one day trip made me three pounds. And again, James and his dad came in and said, What the hell are you doing? This is just ridiculous. All that work, and you've made three pounds profit. I was like, Still a profit. And just give me one more year. If it doesn't work, we'll call it a day. I think this year's brochure's has just gone with 130 trips and 25 holidays and we've got a database of about two and a half thousand customers who are using this on a very regular basis
2: that says a lot about your character and your strength of personality the fact that you've faced that from james's father and james what are you doing with me three pounds or you'll you never know, make you just any money. Oh my God,
0: I can't force this stuff. I've got to, does that make you more determined? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. If someone says to me, I can't do something, all I can think is yes, I can. Oh, I'll show you. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, lots of people will say, and James, he'll laugh if he hears this, his favorite word is impossible. So he, he will say to me, that's impossible. I can't work that out. Or that's impossible. That won't work. Or that's impossible. We can't do that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, He means that's possible. I just have got to find a way to do it. And so he says he's the grounding feature in our relationship (laughs) and business, and he reigns me in. And he's probably right, because I think without him, I probably would go off on a tangent sometimes. So you're a good balance. Yeah. We did some work with the business coach during the pandemic, actually. He offered us some free sessions, which was was quite lively. Changing perspective wise, but the initial bit was to do a sort of disc profile on the pair of us and work out what each other's strengths were. And they did it on me, James, and Matt. We are complete polar opposites, you could not find two more opposite people. And James and his brother are exactly the same. Wow, so, so that, that's a good, a good yeah, then, isn't it's, it? it's it means that we've leveled out the balance. And actually, again, when you use disc profiles in running a business especially in your management team, you should use your disc profiles or profiling of some description depending on your preference to make sure you've got the right people in your team.
2: Right, yeah.
0: So I see that as an, an asset to a recruitment process. I would I would put my team through. So have you
2: changed your approach based on that? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's really made me think about the right people in the right positions in the right place within the company because then your company will be Much more productive and much more moving forward. And we won't have, I don't know, our operations manager doesn't do this or they don't do that right or the way I want it. Well, actually, if we can get the recruitment bit right in the beginning, then we stand a better chance of that being a better place. And it's worked quite well internally in the office. Try this is a whole other...
2: (laughs) How were James and Matt during that process? Were they fully on board with the disc profiling or how did they... um... No, I think they
0: thought it was a bit of (laughs) mumbo-jumbo. This is one of Candice's ideas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) One of her newfangled ways, you know. They were completely against the idea of meeting a business coach, but I was like, he's offered it to us for free. Why wouldn't we take something for free? he might teach us something we don't know and that's for free i'm going to take it so you boys can come along or not and um they came along and actually both of them said it was much better and much more interesting than they'd they'd thought about so Mm. we've used a lot of what he's taught us and then also added some elements and i've done a bit of online training and bits and pieces during my lockdown i didn't sit around having gin in the garden or anything (laughs) i thought right okay this is my time to work out what we're going to do with this business and how the hell we're going to get there
3: Candice, before we move,
0: because we will obviously touch on
3: COVID and the pandemic, but your relationship, obviously it's with your husband, but also
0: your brother-in-law. So yeah. how
3: does that dynamic work? If Well, because he's the same as James.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, I don't shout as Matt quite as much as I shout at James. Do you yeah, need James to shout at him? Yeah. Like that, yeah. well, it's really two against one. Or three with the father-in-law. <laughs> Sometimes. I hope, again, I hope they don't. I'm sure I've said this to them before so I'm sure it won't be news to them but sometimes you can feel or I have felt like I'm in a battle against the Masons (laughs) but then I have to think about okay we're not all the same and we do have to approach things differently and how can I get them to see my side of (laughs) Was probably, yeah. I maybe just at it by a different angle. Maybe it was their idea. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> but again, I have to respect the fact that it is their family company and it's their choice. If they at any point said, we don't want to do this or you were going too far, then I would say, okay, that's fine. I might question whether this was the right place for me as an individual to be. And I'm sure at some point in the future, there is going to come that point where I think I can do what I want to do and I can do it here with James and Matt if they've got the same vision as me or it's now time for me to take a step into something else certainly when you reflect back on the last six years and what we've achieved as a company I think well I started didn't know how to run a company and I'm still learning but I still feel like well maybe I should do something myself and set up something myself so I don't know who knows what the future will hold but um, never say never. Have you at any point
2: during that six years consciously stopped and thought do I carry on or do I go yeah. back into what I was doing before or do something completely different
0: yeah loads of times <laughs> like if the week you can be locked down <laughs> or... well yeah yeah of course you do because actually if you aren't asking yourself those questions you're static I'm quite envious of people who can be static and content because it's not a gene that I possess at all and so sometimes when I've worn myself out and really burnt myself out I think oh, I just wish you didn't need to push everything so far but then a good night's sleep and a bit of a dusting mm. off and I'm right back to where I was so I just don't think I'd be able to be like that mm. so yes of course all through the years there will be points where I've said is this still working is this right for me is it right for the family is it right for my family my daughter and what's it been that's made you
2: answer that yes and carry on and rather than go down a different route James
0: do you think? so he'd never ever ever make me stay somewhere I didn't want to be he wouldn't be able to and he knows i'm sure he knows that <laughs> <laughs> But actually, the fact that we are a really good team and we learn we're quite formidable together and I think it's that unison that has been able to drive the company together forward. I'm just the mouth of it, really, because he's doing all the numbers in the background and doing all the important stuff. But now I'm in this position where I think, would I be able to do it? It's like my left arm, you know. Mm. But yeah, so to us at the minute, it's working. And so we'll carry on.
2: So how do you, well, I was going to say how do you, but do you ever switch off from work you said earlier that you're always thinking about it and so do you actually unwind in any way and if so how
0: yes I do yeah yes I play hockey every week which is really good to hit balls with sticks (laughs) (laughs) there are moments that I have burnt out and I don't mind being very honest about that I'm much better now at recognizing when that's going to happen and stopping it before it happens And through a lot of the learning that I've done over the years, I've learned to give a lot of my jobs away to other people. So what is it where my skill sets are? And again, any manager I think should be thinking like this. Are you the right person to be stuffing the envelopes to send the brochures out to? Because your skills could potentially be better used somewhere else. And this constant thinking about can you work on your business rather than in it, and do you need to be the person doing the finite day-to-day details, or have you hired the right person to do that for you, leaving you to to focus on what's important? But with regards to switch off, yeah, I do find it quite tricky. I think
3: it's probably interesting that obviously your husband has lived with the business all his life. Yeah, that's what he's grown up with and so your your outside perspective
2: yeah you bring you a fresh set of eyes, fresh and a set of of eyes is,
0: is so important yeah. in anything though isn't it and that's what i mean you just if you're not careful you stay static no yeah. that's right so you're identifying that and you
3: want to keep fresh yeah. the moment that that stops and you think you you're not contributing to degree that you that's not the right phrase but you need to get bored that's right
0: and then you think right well what's what's the next challenge and there's always something you can be doing in your in your own business or day-to-day life. i mean if I'm not doing a challenge in the business, probably a bit like you, Laura, I've signed up for some hair-brained <laughs> obstacle course or race or something. I mean, that has deteriorated over the last two years. I'm not going to lie. My fitness is not quite where it used to be. But that was my outlet pre-pandemic was I would sign up for ridiculous things. And that's where I got my extra Yeah, stretch and my personal stretch that I I needed but um.
3: how do you market because I noticed on your website you do the holidays yeah and you've got some brilliant tours lined up for next year there's uh, Euro Disney yeah Yeah. Yeah. I thought you know that's a really great trip but coaching historically really is sort of a perception isn't there that who goes on the
0: holidays so I just wondered how you market those families is it through schools So there's something I've found really interesting about marketing and marketing really does interest me. If I was to go into any other sort of learning degree, anything, it probably would be in marketing or sales. And I'm really fascinated by people's buying habits and and why they choose it. And someone's once asked me, how much would you pay for a customer? It's like, what do you mean? They said, well, if you had a day trip customer, what's the sort of ideal customer? Well, you want someone who's Early retirement age, who's maybe going to book five or six day trips a year and then a couple of holidays, maybe a short break, that's your ideal customer. And said, Well, how much would you pay for that person? You're effectively thinking about, Well, that's worth investing 25 quid standing on a freezing cold market stool to give that customer a brochure. I've paid 25 quid for the market. That customer is now worth five, six, seven, eight yeah. times that. So that's how much I would pay for that customer. And so that's really left me thinking about what do you spend on marketing? Mm. And how do you do it? So if you spend a 100 pounds on marketing, and you make a 110 pounds, you're still making more money than you've yeah. invested. So to me, that was a really poignant, process in in thinking about how we do the marketing here. Now, historically, I've never been given any money for marketing. And it, my determination to make those bloody day trips work, literally went out and knocked on people's doors and was like, I'm Candy from Mason, just started doing day trips. We think you'd love them. And I would go and I would speak to retirement groups and I would go to sheltered housing and I would stand on cold market stalls. And every time I went on a day trip, I would be talking about the next one and what they would expect and really sort of bigging those up. And so everything I did initially was free. It's more recent that I've invested a little bit in marketing, but I do all of the marketing myself. I look at the statistics of how people use Facebook, for example, which is our demographic. So the average user is your 45-year-old. That's exactly you know that age range that we're wanting, that you're using the coaches. You're adding things to Google, your website. So I'm on the phone to the website, people every week tweaking something, getting the SEO done. Yeah, live videos on Facebook. It's just works you've just got to keep shouting all the time about what you do and often again I'm advised through the reading that I've done often your clients don't actually know everything you do in your business so again your email marketing should be having a different focus each week on the different aspects of the business and the different people in it and the different things that you do so you know, you might travel on our school transport, but did you know you can also travel on our day trips? Or did you know you could also privately hire yeah. our vehicles? So just about selling. Every, oh, I thought
3: your website was excellent. Yeah, so they've done a really good navigate, job. It, yeah,
0: they have done a really, really good job. But again, I'm on that website every week. So we have full control over the day trips and holidays program. And I'm on it every week, tweaking things, adding another picture, changing the wording, so different, um, yeah, but also going back to that Amazon purchasing mentality, people see it, buy it, yeah, and that's what we've got to move your business forward in any capacity to that. I thought it was really interesting the
2: your choice of words when you were talking about your marketing because you consistently referred to it as an investment rather than an expense or a spend, yeah, and it's that mentality isn't it that it's an investment you're investing in the marketing to attract your clients and passengers to yeah. use you and keep them interested and a lot of businesses do see marketing as an expense.
0: That they I can would do imagine without. there are probably seventy or eighty percent of businesses that, when we went into the first lockdown, the first thing they did was call their marketing budget. Yeah, and that was when you most needed
2: it. Yeah, and actually, Julia, your your forte is marketing, obviously. So you found that, didn't you? You had um, a focus on, particularly with the coach sector, advising the coach operators to look at what you're cutting and don't cut marketing because you need to be telling people you're still here
0: so when we went into the lockdown you couldn't diversify a coach business and start doing takeaways for your local community otherwise i would have tried (laughs) we did do other things with the coaches eventually down further down the line but for me all i kept thinking was we've got to keep our name at the top of people's minds because if they can't travel with us for a year Are they going to know that we're still here? Are they going to remember to come back? Are they going to want to come back? And so that really, really did excel marketing in a completely different way during the lockdowns. You know, and I did all sorts of different bits, anything I could think of that just kept me engaged with my customers. And that's all I needed to do. I didn't need to spend any money on that. Yeah. I just needed to keep engaged with them because I need them as much as they need me. And they need us for their really great days out, opportunities to come out of lockdown and enjoy themselves and feel safe with a trusted family company that that's how yeah. they've described us. And I needed them to rebuild it. So we did need each other as much. So yeah, I was on, like emailing them weekly. We had the girls from home just phoning customers, just to say, how you doing? Are you okay? We delivered a few food passes to some that are much older and much more vulnerable. And we've done a few little bits and pieces like that. So yeah, you took people to... Vaccination centres and things as well, didn't you? Later on, you yeah, had yeah. The transport
2: for
3: that.
0: Yeah, and a combination of my marketing brain thinking ways to keep the business profile up, little PR things that we have done. But equally, I'll tell you how that came about. When they first announced those vaccinations, they were going to be at centres in sort of cities. Yeah. And they weren't necessarily going to be community based. And it was that much older age range, if you remember this sort of over is that yeah. they were starting with. And I thought about, John, a customer of ours, he's travelled with us. And I know John really, really well. I've been on holidays with him, been days out with him and what have you. And I thought, how the hell is John going to get to his vaccination? He's never going to be able to get this. It's going to cost him a fortune in a taxi. So I phoned John up and said, oh, John, I'll take you over for your appointment if you like. And then I thought, there'll be others. There definitely mm-hmm. are others. And he would said to me, what about so-and-so and what have you? So I put an email together just to our customers and said, look, we've got a minibus sat here. Let's see if we can fill it up and get some of you off to your vaccinations and help you get out there. And that's how it started. And then I d- somehow, and it, it I don't know if we put it on Facebook or somebody else did. And then before I knew it, it had been shared like across the southeast, and we had like loads of people we were transporting. And we did that, and we were in lockdown. We weren't doing anything. So again, it cost me the fuel. You cannot pay for the level of loyalty we then received, or the level of PR that we then received for that. You can't pay for that. There was some element that that was a completely added bonus to what we were trying to achieve. The bottom line was, I cared about. Yeah, I cared about how the and and your customers
2: will remember that for a very, very long time. And stay loyal to you.
0: Oh, should I tell you a really embarrassing story? <laughs> Jason and I walked down to the pub the other Sunday. We we're like, oh, my daughter works at Lakeham Pub, so it's the only time we get to see her. We we'll go and have a quick drink, and um, we were walking along, and this lady walked past me, and I sort of recognised. I said, "Oh, afternoon, you know." And she walks past me, and then she's like, oh, "Oh, you're a Mason." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is embarrassing." She's like, "Oh, I know you. You're Candice. I know you." And I just thought. That's really nice. I oh, have no idea lovely. who you are. <laughs> that's really lovely. Um, and I was like blushing because I was really embarrassed about it. And then I, as I walked up the road, I thought, I don't know what I've done, but it's worked. <laughs> I, I bet your husband was really proud. Yeah, well, I think she recognised him as well. I can't take all of the glory. <laughs> it was just me blushing. I love and the fact that you're the main <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're the <laughs> well, really in it by marriage. Well,
2: but, I suppose the last sort of twenty months whilst you say you weren't doing anything you've actually have done a hell of a lot Candice and I think you're doing selling yourself short by yeah. I you've not really done anything you've done so much and developed such a profile for yourself and the business in turn but you've been a real champion of the coach sector during Covid.
0: Not what I was expecting.
2: How did that come about?
0: Just so you know, when I did my degree in early years, I loved it so much. I thought I was one day going to be one of those speakers that you go to at a national conference and that I would talk about the development of children. And that's what I thought. <laughs> Not that I would be talking about coach industry and become a some sort of face of the industry. How did it come about? I've only ever seen my husband cry twice. The first time was at the birth of our daughter, and I'm pretty sure it was out of sheer relief that it was all over and done with. <laughs> and the second time was when we had to tell our staff, and this was pre knowing about further or anything like that, that we were letting them all go. And quite um, oh about it now, make me cry. I just thought I never want to see him like that. You know, I never want to see him like that again. That was, I think, it was like the Monday, and then on the Friday, they announced the further, they announced the hospitality and leisure and we were like wow okay this could be okay this could be okay and then we obviously discovered that like everybody else we weren't going to be included in the leisure and hospitality we weren't a business that was being told to close and every avenue and every bit of research I was doing I was finding that we're just not gonna we're not gonna get anything and I just thought what the hell you know these boys have worked for 35 years they don't know anything else they've worked so hard I just felt like it was so unjustified and that I think is where it started and I rang my MP I managed to get a telephone appointment with him. I'd never spoken to an MP on the phone I emailed CPT and said I don't I don't know how to speak to an MP how do you talk to an MP (laughs) and Tom Bravestock Oh, no, that's, I don't know how to say a surname. he if he's listening to me. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, yeah, Tom. Tom. It was amazing. And he gave me this little pep talk about the things that I should raise. And it was great. My MP was really great, listened and what have you. And then both of them had said to me, contact the local papers and the local radio stations because you need to get a bit of a profile up. So I did. They listened to me. Again, I've never spoken on a radio show I don't think I'd ever been in a newspaper. But you're fighting. You're fighting. But what was really interesting was that people cared about what was happening to families on the ground and people's livelihoods. And, you know, that was the story in the beginning, wasn't it? The human element to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just basically didn't stop talking. (laughs) Perseverance in that
2: fight that you've been talking about all along. Yeah.
0: It just... And I just thought, no, it's completely unjustified and I, I won't give up. And... In those early weeks, and I I would feel fairly confident that nearly every coach operator in the country probably sat down at one point and said, OK, is it time to call it a day or do we carry on? And we made the decision to carry on. And it was a very serious conversation that we had about that and what that future would look like either way. And I thought, well, blame me if we're going down. I'm going to bloody go down fighting. Yeah. And I just felt like if we were going to go down, if we were going to have to liquidate the company through no fault of our own, I had to be able to hand on heart say that I had literally tried everything I could think of to keep their, their family company going. That's what I felt like. And so that's where my sort of strength came from, I think. I've got to know, I've got to handle, you know, I've just got to be able to know that we did everything we could think of. And that included keeping your company name out there. That included talking to MPs. The Hunk for Hope was announced. Now, I watched initially with great interest. And Jenna and I have met, subsequently met. And she's she's an amazing lady. I was nervous to join in that first Hunk for Hope. It was Loudwater, I think, wasn't it? And um, I was nervous because I felt like I was making some headway with the MP. And I didn't know whether it would make... I I just didn't know. I've never been involved in a protest. so I didn't know whether that was the right thing to do. Yeah, You know, is it the right thing to represent the company name? Was that all the right way about it? And I really didn't know the answer to it. So I'm really sorry to Jenna that I didn't join in with that first one because I would have loved to have supported her. But my naivety and my nervousness about it sort of prevented us. And then I got asked by CPT to attend a meeting. And it was the first meeting with Baroness Beer. In front of the industry, and there were other operators on there. I think um, Chris Owens from Alpine Travel, Catherine's husband, Andrew from Pullum's Coaches, York Pullman were on there. And we had a load of pre meets, right? And I had to go to these pre meets. I was in a caravan, by the way, because it just opened up lockdown. So I was in a caravan, tethering <laughs> off of my phone, trying to have a little break <laughs> in the middle of the peak district. I said to James, oh, "I can't go to this meeting. Like these are proper people who run a proper businesses, and they're like big people, and I don't know what to say." And and they're all men. I thought, oh, Christ, you know. And um, we had a load of pre-meetings, disagreed what we were going to do, agreed how that was all going to go out. And when we went face to face with this meeting, she opened with basically saying, "You're not getting anything," and it just stumped us all. Massive shot across the bow. And some of them sort of tried to pull things together. And I could see them almost stumbling over the words and like just that we were all so taken aback. I just went for it. I just thought I cannot leave this court without saying what I really think I need to say. And I just said to her, what's happening at our business? And I said, you need to know what's happening on the ground. And her no, just all I kept hearing was (laughs) Pachada for her. And I know people were really angry with her and really, really bitter, but it wasn't her only decision. She's not the only person that makes that decision. She said to me herself, she's pretty low on the pecking order. So I needed to get, higher than her and that i knew that but i needed to really badger her as well
2: so you've gone from never ever speaking to an mp to suddenly yeah. on name terms. With but Alice. actually during that conversation
0: <laughs> it was really obvious that she wasn't the person making that decision and we had to get past her yeah. and she's just another person doing her job her world would have been turned upside down like my mp greg smith's world was turned upside down you know he's got very very small children was doing his lovely MP job and the pandemic happens and now he's working 50,000 hours a week doing things for yeah. other people so just need to get past her. Do
2: you think you're being that sort of step removed from the family business and your background out in other industry do you think that provided you with that extra bit of fight and that separation in a way that you could look at it sort of very matter of fact with a clearer head than
0: yeah 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 I mean certainly skills I've developed in other industries have been transferable I think just being able to articulate what the industry was saying was something that I now when I look back on I thought don't know why I was chosen for any of those meetings or to be involved in any of those things but I actually think I was Now, when I look back on some of it, I I was able to articulate what everybody was thinking and feeling. And I mean, I'm not joking. After some of the things that I was involved in, I would get operators messaging me. And I know Jenna said the same, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know if we're going to lose our houses. And it just pulled on my heartstrings. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when I think back to my early years training, I spent years having education of how to care and empathize and build resilience in other people and in other children and I think that is where it comes from I think it was the fact that I cared I suppose
2: it's one thing fighting for your business and your family's business but it's another thing didn't set
0: out taking taking all the troubles of the entire coach sector and championing I didn't set out to do any of that but it was the right thing to try and do it and that's how That's how we met. You and (laughs) I met, yeah. (laughs) Met virtually. Yeah, (laughs) with another harebrained idea. Because it was off the back of that Charlotte Beer meeting that I just thought, this cannot be the only way. We have got to convince this woman that we are a vital industry. Yeah, I think just a couple of other like-minded operators somehow managed to find themselves on a Zoom call one day and um, decide that we needed to somehow try and articulate numbers of what the industry was was worth so that's when we did the backstop together and there was a lot of hours went into that wasn't there a lot yeah yeah some of those numbers were used and I was able to use them and I know others were again another opportunity that didn't quite have the impact that we'd dreamt of it having but that doesn't stop you. You just keep going, and there'll yeah. be a different impact somewhere down the line, which is the current thing that I'm working on. Well, yeah, it brings us back to marketing, doesn't it? What we were talking about. Yeah, so um, or... on a lockdown walk in March, in that after Christmas, that very last lockdown, James and I were walking, and it was his idea. He said to me, I've "Been thinking. I wonder if you could get a few operators to club in together. Maybe we could get a bit of TV advertising. You know, I've, I've had a look. It's not." Hugely expensive, but you'd need you can't do it on your own. Would need a few more. I said like, that's a really good idea. Maybe that would work and what have you. So I put a message on the sort of coach operators Facebook forum, and a few other people said it was a good idea. And I thought, it is a good idea. That's where it went from there, and CPT are now helping sort of run. they yeah. taking it over because it's a big project. And I was finding it quite a lot. And I needed their backing. I needed somebody's backing yeah. to support me with it because it's a big project. And that's due to be aired, we think, the second week of January. It will be a TV clip. We'll go out into advertising, social media, and we'll have a landing platform website to promote the coach industry. And I think when I've done that bit, I might feel like I've done enough.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you won't. I'm sure you'll find
3: another challenge. <laughs> Is this James? Yes, sorry. This is my husband. Hi Hi. Hi, James. (laughs) Yes you. Yeah, not too bad. I think you've asked the question anyway, Laura, but I always say, do you talk business at home all the time around the dinner table?
0: Yeah, there's well (laughs) (laughs) No don't sugarcoat. There's no sugarcoat in that. Yeah, and it's an infuriation of our lives and we both have to say, right, tonight, no coach talk. talk." Does your daughter live at home with you? right nearly yeah she does
2: well she's not in the family business she's absolutely point blank
0: refused yeah we can't blame and she just sort of rolls (laughs) her eyes at us and just sort of like well I don't know why you run a company if it's so hard work and all you do is moan about it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no we, we do have to be quite strict with ourselves don't we And again, another benefit of lockdown, because you couldn't do anything else except for go walking. James and I really took hiking from one level to the next level, you know, rather than just taking the dog for a walk, which is what we normally would have done pre-pandemic. We were going out and going for hikes for 8, 15, 20 miles at a time. And what we found is the first hour of that hike was spent talking about work and digesting the week that had just happened. And then the rest of it, we talked about other things. We were like, oh, this is actually quite... Good, so it's quite therapeutic yeah. and cathartic to hike. Would you say, So obviously
3: the lows and highs of a business, the low is COVID, the pandemic, but yet it has brought some highs It's in terms of, I suppose, your engagement with the customers, with your CPT project. Would you agree that?
0: I would say the pandemic has changed me as a person and I'm not the person I was pre-pandemic and... I just think for the better, and I think it's changed the company for the better. I think it's changed my husband and his brother-in-law for the better. Yeah, I think it's been the greatest thing that's happened to us. That doesn't mean we're not struggling as a result of it. There are daily struggles. I mean, we will be funding coming out of COVID for about six years. So it's got some very real challenges in front of us. Yeah. Have you reached that bounce back
2: point yet? Have you seen the customers return in their yeah. droves and, and things get back
0: to some form of normality. I don't know if droves is the right word. Okay. I don't know if bounce back. And that's how I was imagining it. Yeah. I, I think that's that, how it was portrayed. Yeah. There'd like be this grand moment the government where, opened the doors yeah. and everybody was allowed back. And actually what it's been is quite a gradual stepped process. So from a private hire perspective, the work has changed So our groups, our U3A groups, our WI groups, all the sort of more mature groups, and are only just starting to meet now and thinking about Mm -hmm. what they might do in the future. That was a massive part of our business pre-pandemic. But we were able to pick up other contracts that we'd never done sort of things before. I mean, done the odd bit of rail replacement and the odd bit of staff transport, but we've picked up quite a lot more of that. Some local work, transporting some workers and built up some relationships with clients, I went out and spent a lot of my time networking and so picked up quite a few clients that have booked us as a result of that. So we've picked up some sporting fixtures and whatnot. So we've kind of just diversified that side of the business. And that private hire will come back. But what we'll need to do is buy further coaches at that point Mm -hmm. to take that capacity. And with regards to the day trips, patience was really, really important yes, you had to get your timing right as you opened the business up. Because I know there were some people who waited and and what have you, but I think your timing was quite key when we reopened the business. All that marketing we'd done in the lead up to it, the build up, the day of the trip, you know, we're back and all of those sorts of things. That was really, really important to your image of your company. And then we've just been patient. We've been really, really flexible with our terms and conditions. If people have felt nervous, that's fine. We'll just leave a credit on your account. Come back to us when you're ready. I've got about 600 customers who haven't travelled with us in that 18-month period. Right. So I know who they are. I know where they are. And I know why they're not coming with us at the moment. When they're ready, they'll come back because we've done all that work. Yeah. Well, it's understanding your passengers, isn't it? It, it what really, they really needs. is. Yeah. Do you think you've
3: attracted new clients? Yeah. So, so, I only say that because I keep going back to the Euro Disney, but when I looked on your website, I thought, oh, gosh, that's interesting. Do you know, because we haven't taken the children, I'd love to go. And I thought... I, you can definitely have a space. I thought, thought about a, I a holiday to take them. And so, I, so I'm interested because it's it, Euro Disney, it's a younger target market. Well, what's really parents.
0: interesting, we've just had uh, COP26. Six. I can not remember the number. <laughs> COP something. And the world's gone mad trying to promote green and green <laughs> travel. And, and here I am thinking, I've oh, got one of the greenest forms of transport yeah. you could even consider using right now. So I'll just I'll plug that around a little bit. That's picked up a bit of interest. Since March this year, I, I actually just touched it up this morning, we've had an average of 96 brand-new customers a month. Oh, wow. Who can wow. say... And um, don't forget, in, in March, process. we were in lockdown still. Yeah. The 50% capacity on day trips sort of really started about the 21st of June or something, wasn't yeah. it? So, yeah, I'm happy great with that beautiful. figure. Yeah, that's really a such
2: achievement. Yeah. yeah.
0: And they're loving it. And they've given really great feedback. And they're just coming back for more, which that's is fantastic. exactly what you want. But remember those 600 that that haven't haven't traveled traveled, and just keep them in mind keep thinking about them again I don't want to delusion people and sugarcoat it because there have been trips that I've had to cancel because the numbers haven't been right a couple of theater trips I think that was a little bit down to me getting the wrong time or day or Mm. you know a couple of little things like that you know people are a little bit more nervous for theater things which I think is is, is important but so we just said to the customers I'm really sorry but we're going to try something else can we transfer to something can we book Yes, it's really disappointing for people, but in some ways we, we can still excuse that at the moment a little bit. Pre-pandemic, I'd never cancelled a trip. Remember, I'd like to make three pounds rather yes. than cancel or something because that is somebody's day out and yeah. what they're looking forward to. So it's not something I do irrationally. And I might look at a month and think, well, that trip's making twice as much as I thought it was. So let's just run that one for a little bit of a loss or a very, very small margin because I can make up for it somewhere else. And that means those customers aren't disappointed and they can come back. But ultimately, we're here to make money, aren't we?
3: And have all your drivers come back?
0: I was going to ask about the drivers, yeah. How's how's the
3: um,
2: workforce been?
0: And are they nervous? Man, has the staffing been the biggest, the biggest heartache, challenge, everything. I thought the lockdowns and COVID was bad, but staffing is the challenge in itself. Mm. We lost a few very early on in the lockdowns, a couple that didn't want to stay on furlough, couldn't sit at home doing nothing, went and got temporary contracts that were then offered permanent contracts so we couldn't get them back. So that was really hard and they were good staff members. We then, a local operator to us, to us went into liquidation. So we picked up five additional school routes from them. So we were literally one day having a conversation about, are we going to need to make redundancies? What does that look like? What are the figures like? To the next day saying, we need to recruit more drivers. (laughs) You couldn't make it up. It was happening and it was happening so quickly. Some of the changes staffing, numbers have fluctuated i think when we then people didn't want to come back into the industry because it's vulnerable if we went into another lockdown they didn't want to end up on furlough on 80 percent and yeah. we couldn't afford to top them up so every one of their reasonings was very just understandable completely understandable and ultimately everybody's got to do what's right for them and their family yeah. and yeah you know and i look i'd like to think my staff think i look after them like i would look after my customers they are as important to us, and they are. We couldn't run the company without them, so they are very, very important to me. But we were in a vulnerable position. Yeah, so there was a lot of fluctuation. We picked up other contracts. We needed to recruit more this year. From about April, I was about six drivers. That might have been a bit earlier than that. Could have done with another six drivers. I've got three spare in the management team daily so right ideally you want to leave one two of those free in case you've got a breakdown or you've something's gone wrong or what have you but they're maxed out They're they're out every day at the minute which I don't like doing mm. and about April I thought oh recruitment's not going how it normally does and that was a worry and that was probably about the first time I felt we're it's about to hit the fan with this one <laughs> And it's just gotten worse. There just are not enough bodies out there. I've never spent money on recruitment before. Spent a lot of money this year on recruitment, and it's not pulling through very strong candidates, which is really really tricky. Especially when you're running very expensive vehicles on what I would describe as high-end bookings, you need the calibre to be up. So earlier in the year, we um, decided us. It must it, Actually, it must have been earlier than that because I put together a program and recruited trainee drivers in January. Right. As we went into lockdown, so I had to put them on hold. So it must have been that time when I started thinking this isn't good because as a result of that, we've put a trainee driver program in place here. Yeah, you know, we'd lost a couple of older chaps. Experienced chaps is probably how I should say it. And I shouldn't say chaps. I should say lovely men. Um <laughs> And what we were finding was we actually had a really young workforce. And I I thought, this is great. This is great. You know, this is brilliant. And I'm about to recruit these new trainees, but they're even younger than (laughs) 21. So for me and us as a company, you cannot expect, I can't get my head around how driver training happens. I, I can't get my head around it. They can do their theory without ever bit stepping foot behind a wheel of a vehicle yeah. and then they can go for a week or not even a week, 20 hours and pass their driving test and on the Monday be delivering 70 odd school kids to school in a 300, well we wouldn't use a 300,000 pound vehicle but or yeah. driving it into Europe. I, I cannot comprehend that that is not sufficient enough training. So we built up a programme that built on that training. Right. So our trainees came with us and they had three months with us before we sent them for their driving tests. Right. And they spent 30 hours a week in the yard. And that was either out route learning, driving different type vehicles. It was with the workshop learning about management of walk-around checks and all those sorts of bits. It was with my management team. It was with my customer service team. It was out on the coaches with the day trips and the customers. It was out with the school kids. So they had an experience across every breath and then we tested the hell out of them and then we put them for the tests.
2: Is that a program that you've developed yourself? Yeah. Is that something that, yes, and you've created that yeah. completely?
0: Yeah. Okay. I spoke to a couple of other operators who've done some similar things and pinched a few ideas, but my background is education. Yeah. So you've drawn on that skill Just set. drawn on that skill set and built Fantastic. a program and that has continued and we've continued to do that for our current our sort of qualified staff, I suppose. Right. So a week ago, we had um, somebody in doing European and city driving. And that was a course that i designed. I knew what I wanted, but I wanted somebody who's driven there to to deliver it. It's no good me saying it because they won't listen to me in that way. But I knew what I wanted the course to be like. And we've done endpoints assessments on that course. So now I know where the gaps in every person's knowledge is. We've asked the same company to continue delivering our CPC, but to do the same. So we have an endpoint assessment on our CPC training now as well. Right. So again, I need to know where the gaps in my staff's knowledge are so I can design the training moving forward. Because ultimately, the best job those drivers can do gives the best experience to my customers, which means they will book again. The more customers we've got, the more company money the company makes – the more I can pay my staff, and so that's the circle. So everybody stands to benefit. That's the idea. There are a few that don't get the circle, but it's pretty. It's, it's not rocket science.
2: <laughs> so the training program that you've introduced—is that something that you personally? It was your idea, or?
0: Yeah, we talked about. Well, we just said there aren't enough bodies. There's no recruitment come forward. We're going to have to train ourselves, and that's where that idea sort of started from. And it's something we now are going to continue and we'll do several cohorts a year. We've, we've sort of tweaked it a little bit. Do you know, we have 47 applicants for that trainee post. And again, going back to what we're talking about recruitment wise earlier, we then sent out initial like information, how to do it, you know, what the course structure was going to be like, what it all meant. Are you still interested? Yep. Fill in this form. Those that were interested were then asked to do an online assessment and that was to plan a route Let's see what your research skills are like. There was a couple of scenarios about different questions about customer issues. Let's see what your current depth of, of knowledge is. And then we caught the ones we liked from that, we called forward seven for interviews and appointed two. Um, so I've gone back to some that applied previously and said, do you want to have a re-look yeah. at this? And We've re-advertised. I've done a couple of things with local schools and colleges to oh, advertise a few more. That's the only way this industry is going to recruit yeah. new drivers. And you've got to accept, if you recruit 10, you might retain five, six, three. Yeah. You've got to accept that. It's you've got to be willing to make the investment into the industry as well as into your own workforce. So is it through the schools and colleges that you've attracted these applicants? With Online that? recruitment, um, indeed, really again didn't have a budget for it no I'm never gonna give it a budget for anything yeah just go out on the streets standing there handing out flyers to people I stood opposite the bus station once and was like come on you know <laughs> yeah you just gotta do what you've got to do haven't you yeah just get out there get people through the door there are things that don't work like I'm making it sound by the way I don't want to um, make it sound like we're that amazing otherwise we'd be a different in a different yeah. place we're not and some things have worked really really well and some some things have not worked well at all and some ideas have been great and worth it and others have fallen down
2: the pan. <laughs> you said earlier you're really reflective and you analyse things and question things. So where you have done something that hasn't produced what you expected or it's been unsuccessful, do you go through that process, yeah, you analyse it, find what went wrong yeah. and why, yeah. and how you can do it better? Yeah.
0: If you've got staff leaving your company and you should know why, even if you're offering a job to somebody and they're not taking it, you should know why. Because how are you going to change what you're doing and improve your set of circumstances? I just, if a customer, you know, doesn't have a good experience on your trip, why not? What are you going to do differently next time? How are you going to reassure them that you're going to do that? How are you going to make sure that happens the next time? I just, yeah, if you don't reflect, if you just again, if you just stay static, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And if you're happy with what you've always got, you don't need to do anything about it. But if you're not, then you do.
2: That's brilliant, That's isn't very it?
0: Attended. With you being so reflective in your
2: personality, if you look back over the last six years of your involvement with the business, you must be so proud of what you've achieved and what the business has achieved. But what is your probably proudest moment, do you think? Or who is the one? Are you able to pick one?
0: You know, I actually find compliments really hard to take. I just I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I just do it because that's what I wanted to do at the time. And that's and somebody thinks that's a really great thing. So I, I do find that really hard to be. I am proud of myself, but to to take that sort of feedback, like you said earlier, that you found it quite inspiring. And I think, well, that's really lovely, but I don't really. You probably, just you don't know what to me, do with it. you probably prefer me to ask what your worst moment was. Or what <laughs> What's the my moment proudest you've learned moment? <laughs> What's my proudest moment? I mean, I've got dyscalculia, so making it in the Financial Times was a pretty high up. <laughs> there was a paper I never thought I'd get my name printed in, so that's really good. And I've actually become their go-to. So um, Harry up there, he just anytime he wants a coach quote, he just rings me up now and asks for it. I'm like, oh I'm so overdoing it in the Financial Times, it's hilarious. <laughs> no, do you know what? Anything to do with when I've been able to promote women. And it's not just in this industry, it's in all walks of life. And it's been really, really important to me to do that. I don't really know why, because I've been brought up in an environment where women have been equal. But there are areas in life where that isn't the case. And there are still people in life who don't believe that. But more importantly, there are women who don't think that. And we are capable of so much more than anybody could ever give us credit for, ever. If you've ever had a child run a job, run a house, kept yourself going five days of the week, you're winning. (laughs) We're just capable of, you haven't even touched the surface, I don't think, with what women are capable of achieving. And there was just to end, there was a very interesting article I read during the pandemic about the countries that were doing very well during the pandemic and that were coping very well. And every single one of them was run by a woman. New Zealand being a good example, yeah. 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 I remember reading yeah. Don't ever so ever underestimate what a woman is capable of oh, yeah, yeah. I would say Couldn't do it without our men but
2: <laughs> She's the over there yeah. <laughs> It's like she's a force to be reckoned I oh, <laughs> What it couldn't do with the men saying no that's impossible
0: Yeah <laughs> it's true yeah. I'll tell Laura, all so about we you just,
3: there. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah But I mean I think I put it in a post at some point in, in, earlier in the year it was sort of celebrating National Women's Day but um You know, if James and Matt and my dad and people like that weren't behind me, would it be a different story? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that's been my proudest moments making women, raising the profile of women.